We started a message series last week about hope. If ever we need some hope, we need hope now. And we're studying from the most hopeful book in the Bible, the book of 1 Peter that's written to people just like us. And so last week we closed out in 1 Peter 1 verses 1 through 9 with this question. Do you believe what these verses say? And to start us this morning, I've asked Josh Roberts to come and to read these verses. And as he reads them, they will not be on the screen. I want you to let them just wash over you with the question in mind, do I really believe this? To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and beyond, who have been chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood to you, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, and never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of different trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your very souls. And the whole church said, amen. You know what the word amen means? So be it. We must embrace what Peter has said about us and who we are and what we're about. Now, here's our point for today. It's very simple. For these verses to change you, they've got to move from simply facts to story. You see, I grew up hearing the facts of the gospel, and that's nice. And Peter gives us many, many of the facts of the gospel. But I would say to you this morning that Peter is doing more than just giving facts. He's telling the great story of all time in God's redemption of mankind. You see, facts don't move us like stories. Christian musician and novelist Andrew Peterson says, if you want someone to hear the truth, tell them the truth. If you want someone to love the truth, tell them the story. You see, it's, it's the difference in this just being a checklist of what you must do and what you must embrace in a story that you live into. And I would say again today that what Peter's doing is he's inviting us into this grand story. Now, let, let's think about this for a moment. What are the elements of a great story? You can Google this, and there's quite a few lists, but these are in common. The, the elements of a great story are a beginning, conflict, 
tension, suspense, climax, resolution, and then the end. Almost every great story you see will have all of those characteristics in it. Now, let's, let's keep this simple. We've got a lot of kids here this morning. So thankful. Some of you families are brave in, to get your kids out here. How many of you kids have watched Lion King? How many of you parents have it memorized? Okay. It's just, over and over again. Now, you kids, if you can yell out from your mask, I, I need to ask some questions. Who is the young lion club, cub who's the hero of the story? Samba, you got it? Okay. W- what's his dad's name? Man, we got some great kids back here. Mufasa, okay. Who's his evil uncle? Oh, good, good, good. And, and when he runs away, what's the lifestyle? How does he call it? Hakuna what? Man, you see the power of a story? We, we remember stories. In fact, just listen to this summation of the plot. After being anointed as the next king of the jungle, the young lion club, Simba, is every bit as eager to take his proud father, Methuselah. How'd you say it? Mesfasa. Say it for me again. You're good. Okay. Place is the king. However, this makes Simba's villainous uncle Scar jealous of him. But when Mephasa is suddenly murdered by Scar, Simba feels responsible for his death and runs away from home. He meets two outcasts and embraces their way of life, Makuna Matata. Years later, approached by his childhood friends, Simba returns home to stop Scar's evil reign and fulfill his destiny as the new king. And you know the end. He takes his place in the circle of life. It's a great story. And the story has great meaning behind it of of friendship and love. And yes, of our theme today, hope. And so that's the power of a story. We, We memorize it much more than if we had just tried to memorize facts. And that is the story that Peter is telling about Jesus. It's got all these elements, a beginning. He talks about us being chosen before the foundation of the world. He talks about Jesus being chosen before the world existed. There's conflict. There's this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. God's people end up being exiled, scattered across the world, and now persecuted. And then there's that tension. For a little while we suffer, but in the long run, we'll be blessed. There's the climax. All of this is based on the living hope found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's the resolution. As Peter would say, the end result is the salvation of your souls. And then there's the wonderful end where praise, glory, and honor belong to Jesus Christ. Wow, what a story. You say, buddy, you left out suspense. Well, go back to 1 Peter with me. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, and you'll see the incredible suspense as the prophets and angels are watching. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances of which the Spirit in Christ in them was pointing when they predicted the sufferings of the Messiah's, Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you 
when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now, I love this last line of this section. Even angels long to look into these things. As the message says, angels would have given anything to know what you know. What's he saying? Is this plan unfolds. And the prophets, if you read them, begin to give detail after detail of Jesus' life and his suffering. You can almost chart his whole life through the prophets. But they got a problem. They don't know when this can happen. They don't, got, they don't have the full story of the gospel. And these angels, they're in heaven trying to look into these things. The, the word look into literally means they're stooping over. It's like a, a window too low. They're stooping over to look and see what's going to happen. You see, there's an amazing amount of suspense. What is God going to do? How will he accomplish this? So, this tells us some things. I want to talk about the essentiality of a story. Why are stories so powerful? And why do we need to live into the story? First of all, stories give emotions to facts. Stories emotionalize information. I could tell you about pulmonary hypertension and give you all the facts. I could tell you the story of how my mother suffered with it for 15 years and how it took her life. That's completely different. We know that in our church. You see, when stories are connected to facts, you, you remember it. I could preach on the dangers of drug abuse and the 12 steps as long as I want to. But what you and I have remembered for two decades is the story of Ed Bice and him overcoming drugs. Stories make things powerful. I could challenge you about giving in your weekly offering every week and being generous, but the story that stayed with this church for years and years is when Junior Bagwell was laid off from UPS during a strike and he's convicted by God not to reduce his giving, but to double it. And God blessed that. You see, that makes the facts different. Number two, stories create community. The first exiles, before the exiles, these are in First Peter, was the country with the people, the Jewish people. They underwent a, a, a similar, same persecution, just as the Christians are. They were scattered across the world. But there is no community in the history of the world that is more cohesive than the Jewish people. And I would appeal to you, the reason for that is because they told a common story. They would meet and take the Passover every year and remember the Exodus Remember the plagues. Remember God freeing them from slavery. Helping them enter the promised land. And the the beauty of the Jewish people is that they told the story over and over again. And even today across the world, Jewish communities are so close because they bind the stories. Now we understand this, even as hopeful football fans. If you go to Tuscaloosa or you go to Auburn, what unites 100,000 people there? 
It's a common story. If you go to Tuscaloosa, you think about Bear leaning on the goalposts. You think about the goal line stand. You think of the improbable hiring of Nick Saban. You think of national championships. Even the fight song says, remember the Rose Bowl will win then. And if you go to Auburn just down the road, you love to see the eagle fly. You got the memory of that infamous punt-bama punt game. You remember Bo over the top. You remember Pat Dye's answer in the interview, how long will it take you to beat Alabama? 60 minutes. And you remember kick six. You see, despite the fact you don't know those people, you stand in the midst of a story that unites you. It's really powerful. Being a part of this church, there's an amazing story of a group of Christians who wanted to start a church in exploding East Montgomery, who all, many of them mortgaged their homes to buy a building on the Atlanta Highway because they felt like there needed to be an evangelistic, mission-minded church And a church that years later was willing to make some dramatic changes and sacrifice a lot of things so that they could once again re-engage a culture that has changed. It's that story that makes us feel a part of the Landmark family. You see, stories give us community. Number, Number three, stories shape us. How you live now is shaped by how you view the future. And this is really Peter's point. For instance, if you believe that there's no creator behind this world, there's no God, and it just happened, explosion happened out of nothing, and all of a sudden you got something, and just an amoeba group, you know, came up on a shoreline and evolved, you know, into who we are today with no hand of God, you end up with very little hope because the truth is it's all going to end with you being dead. And as the old saying says, when you're dead, you're dead like Rover. You're dead all over, right? If you buy into that story, then as your life comes to the end and you begin to get sicker and sicker, which we all will, where's the hope? Where's the hope? But if you buy in the story that of Jesus that Peter's telling us that there was a God who created us, a God who loved us, and a God who wants us to live with him forever, no matter how bad this life gets, it will shape what's going on here. We live differently. It's like if you were called by your doctor this week and the doctor told you, you've got cancer. If you buy into that first story, it's pretty bleak. If you buy into the second story, you'll be like my good friend Warren Golson, who found out this week that his cancer's back. And you know what he told me? Buddy, I'm in a win-win situation. It's what story you buy into. Number four, stories give us purpose. There's an incredible book called The History of American Culture, The Mediation of Hope by Andrew Labarro. He's a professor at Columbia University. 
He talks about it's, it's hope for a better world. It's hope that the words the founding fathers didn't always live to, that live up to, that all men are created equal. It's that hope that keeps our country together. And here's what he says. Hope depends on finding some end to pursue. More than merely instant gratification. Finding something more important than your own selfish desires. You see, we've we got to have a purpose bigger than just what do I want to do for me today? Because without that overarching purpose found in the story, we end up with nothing to sacrifice for. No sense of direction in our life. No self-control. Our lives just end up being a chaos of emotions. But if we understand there's a story, we can point to every chapter in the story and see that God is refining us for a purpose for us to represent him on this earth as his ambassadors and to live with him forever in heaven. Stories give us purpose. And finally, stories give us hope. That's what Peter's trying to give. Listen to what Labarro says. Our story of hope is the way we overcome. I love these words, so pay close attention. Let me start all over. Our story of hope is the way we overcome The lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amount to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait to die. See, there's no hope in that. But we believe that we're a part of a bigger story than us. When we believe there's a purpose to our lives, that there's an end that is glorious, that everything in God's story and everything to our story is going to that final climax where everything is perfect and all wrongs are made right and God reigns forever. That, my friend, is powerful. So, let's tell the story. You see, communion is our time our story time. Like any good family, you have story time. Like any good family, you know, we were all together the other night and just one story after the other of past and mistakes and funny things, it just, you just sit there around the table and it, it unites you because you got to keep telling the story. You can't tell the story too often. That's why I'm thankful in our heritage that at least we stop once a week and tell the story. What's the story? It's the story of a triune God who existed as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who existed in perfect community and perfect love, complete, but had a desire to share that love with people. And so he created the world. And he created man and woman to give himself to and to love. Now, even before he did this, because he had foreknowledge, like Peter said, he knew that for there to be love, people would be given choices and that people would make wrong choices. It didn't take long for Adam and Eve to prove that. And they rebelled and they sinned and were cast out of the garden. But even in that moment, the story begins to unfold. God chooses a people to which they can be a light to the nations, an example of 
that love relationship with God. He gives them a set of commands that though they cannot keep them perfectly, it points to need of a Savior. And then God sends prophet after prophet for hundreds of years who tell how the story is going to end, that there will be a Messiah that will not only rescue his chosen people, but will make us his chosen people. And then, boy, does this story have suspense. For about 400 years, everything shuts down. No more prophets, no more prophecies, silence from God. And then what a story. God is born as a baby in a barn laid in hay surrounded by stinking animals born to a virgin. That's the way God chooses to enter the world. Crazy. And then God grows up. And we get to see what God is like. We get to see how he treats people. We get to see what he values. We get to see all the ups and downs and commands and rebellion of the Old Testament come into a figure who perfectly exemplifies the way God is and the way we were created to live. And then that perfect man tells the truth. He tells us the truth about God. He tells us the uncomfortable truths about ourselves. And he even wades in to tell the truth about religion. And they kill him. Talk about suspense. He lays in a grave for three days. And then, thank God, Peter says... He resurrected from the dead. Let's celebrate this story this morning. Take your communion supplies out. Let's pray together. If you hold that bread, that cup, it represents the climax of the story. Retell the story. Not only would that bring us closer to God in communion with God, But as we retell this story, it will bring us in closer community with one another. Whether you're watching online or you're here live, what unites us is this story. Let's pray together. God, we we thank you that when you wanted to get to our heart, you didn't just throw out a bunch of facts. You invited us into a story. And God, sometimes I would admit I struggle when I read a book like 1 Peter and I just see the do's and don'ts and the facts and figures. And sometimes that's all I see and I don't look beyond that to see that Peter is really telling a story that began before the earth was created and will end one day ultimately in heaven. Right now, God, we celebrate the turning point in that story. We celebrate the climax when your son Jesus gave his life in our place, shed his blood for our sins, resurrected from the dead three days later to give us hope and ascended to heaven to intercede for us and to prepare 
a place for us to live for eternity. May we remember the story. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the greatest indications to me of how great God is, is that none of us could have thought of this story. It's, it's beyond our imagination to think of a God that would do this. And so I close with this statement commonly said, God has written you into story. You see, Peter's not just telling the story of Jesus. He's telling Peter's story. It's a story of death and life. It's a story of a fall and redemption. It's a story of Peter leaning in to the story of Jesus to find his salvation. No matter how bad he's blown it. And my question for you this morning is, do you see it? Do you see yourself in this story? Or is it just a nice church story? Is it just a a set of facts that you have understood growing up? You see, here's my fear, is that many of us are living in the wrong story. We're living in the story of something our parents or someone else may have said to us that labeled us that... You'll never amount to anyone. You're, you're a loser. You, you can't get anything right. Or maybe on the other hand, there was a story of you can never please me. No matter how hard you try, no matter how well you perform, you will never get my affirmation. And it puts us into a story where we're always seeking it. And it puts us into that American story that says, the key is for me to achieve more and more, to get more and more, to do more and more. It's a terrible story. Or maybe you're living in the story that nothing here will last. That this is, this is all going to be over. And when it's over, it's over. And so you're just grabbing for everything you can get here. You're grabbing for all the gusto because nothing happens after this. And as you grow older, and as the world gets worse, you have no hope. Because it's all disintegrating. What story are you living into? Because it's, it's the story you live into that will determine the story that ends. And right now, it will determine whether you are a person of hope or not. Is the story you're living into, if you keep living this way with these priorities, if you keep displaying by your actions that you're buying into another story, here's the question you need to deal with right now. Where will it end? Any of the other stories I've told will not end well. But the story we told about Jesus today will end in an amazing way, we can say with confidence, because of this story, they lived happily ever after. That's the story. So this morning, before we leave, before the video is cut off, we would love for you to let us know if you have some prayer requests. You'll see the number up here on the screen. And, and we've been, every week, we're getting more and more of these requests. So take your phone out. If, if something has struck you today, if you found out you're living in the wrong story, or for some reason, you're hopeless today, that's why this letter was written. 
It wasn't written to a group of Christians who had it all together. It wouldn't have needed to be written. It's written because so many of us, when the world's going haywire on us, just like them, can become hopeless. So if you just need hope, if you need to lead, lead into, live into this story, would, would you please just put that on a quick text to us? You know, every week we're, we're able to pray for dozens of you. The whole church is invited to do this. Just like we would do in more normal times if you came up to this front row this morning and said, I need some prayers. We don't want you to do without that. That's not good. So right now, let's all give each other something to pray about. Be honest. Be bold. Part of the great part of the story of this church is that this is an authentic place where you don't have to fake being religious and where you can be vulnerable and bold and confess anything. That's part of who we are. Live into that story right now. You don't have to be embarrassed. You're not going to be looked down upon. You're simply going to be prayed for. If you're interested in being baptized, just text baptism, and we'll contact you this week. Now, before we walk out of here, a couple challenges. This week, I want you to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, to chapter 2, verse 3, every day this week. In verse 13, we get to that key word in any biblical book, therefore, okay? He said all these wonderful things, and now he's going to tell you what you do with it and what I do with it. So read that every day this week, and um, we'll get together next Sunday, and we'll keep preaching hope.